like there was, there was many bad days before. And I would like, especially when my mom got diagnosed and it was like, there was, there was times where I questioned, I'm like, like, why, why is life like this? Why, um, like, what is the purpose of life? Like all those kinds of questions. Welcome to the Dairy to Move podcast. I am your host, Colleen Wetmore. Each week, I will give you a guest or a thought that will help you become aligned with your soul and your life purpose. We will have conversations about raw and real topics with inspiring and motivational individuals. So let's get deep, and I dare you to move into who you were meant to be. just been trying to do a lot of inner work. I did Lacey Phillips work last week. Oh wow, that was intense. Um, I posted a story about it on Instagram, so if you saw that, you already know what I'm talking about. But yeah. Whew. So basically, I don't really remember everything, but basically I just don't feel like I deserve happiness and love and I'm not worthy of happiness and love. There's many, many other things I don't remember. I'd have to look back at my notes. But yeah, so I did that last week. Cried my eyes out. Just cried a lot. Um, but it's all about the journey and it's, you got to do the work or you're never going to be fully happy. Um, but yeah, so I did that. Saturday night I had a few of my cousins over. We had a fire fire it was really cold so we didn't last we only last till like 9 30 because it was it was like in the 40s so it's cold um we went inside played board games we played imagine if i don't know if anyone's ever heard that probably not but it's a really fun board game um it's like a majority vote when rule wins the game because you keep moving up when the majority so it's like imagine if uh, I don't know, my cousin or my grandmother was a song. What song would she be? And you pick one through six. And then if four sixes win, then those people who picked four go. It's a really fun game. I enjoyed it. Um, then we played Trivia Pursuit, the Disney version. I, of course, won because I am a Disney champ. I love Disney movies. Like, total dork and total kid at heart when it comes to Disney movies. But it's a, some of the questions are pretty tough, and then some of them are pretty easy. So it just depends on what questions you get, what movies you get, because I don't know all the Disney movies. I know I definitely know all the 90s ones for most of them. Like, my favorite Disney movies growing up were Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, Lion King, Aladdin, Pocahontas. I love Pocahontas. Um, those are my favorite Disney movies growing up. I really like Frozen now. Moana was really good. Um, can't wait for Frozen 2. I'm actually really excited for Frozen 2. Yeah. So that was my weekend. It was really fun. Um, 
so yes, today's episode is my friend whom I met on Instagram, Brandon Grant. He's from Canada. Oh, Canada. I don't know. I don't even know how their anthem goes. But anyway, so basically he, his Instagram is insane. It's just all about conscious living and meditation and being happy and just, he really wants to help others become happy and you know, loving, love themselves, be loving, be conscious. Um, but this episode was really, really good. He talks a little bit about real estate investment because that's what he does for work. And he, um, but he just talks about a lot of stress happened in 2016 and his mom's, um, passing and her getting sick. So that was really touching and, yeah, it's just a really good episode. Um, he's very into being present and conscious. You learn a lot in this episode. Just a ton. Definitely about real estate investment, but definitely about being conscious and mindset. And breath, breath work and meditation. You just you just learn a lot, and it's a really good episode. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, 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 oh. And he's got a new book out. It is called... Becoming the Best You Today, 111 Contemplations for Living a Successful and Conscious Life. So go check it out. You can buy it on Amazon. I highly recommend it. I freaking love it so far. And it's an easy read and you could do a little read a couple pages a night before you go to bed. It's amazing. Okay, enjoy. So thank you for coming on. <laughs> so you were a chemical engineer. You completed a chartered financial analyst program. Yeah. You worked in corporate for 10 years and you um, invested in real estate. So I guess we'll start there because that's totally a different person than what we see on Instagram. <laughs> so you want to start with your journey? Yep. Yeah. Just start with your journey and... Okay. everything <laughs> uh, if you look at my instagram you'll see a few pictures and where my instagram page started and that was in 2016 uh i removed some of the posts from back then uh it was all real estate financial freedom investing yep i'm and, seeing it now <laughs> okay probably like it's slowly structured towards once I started writing a book I knew that I needed to create a page that would lead people to my book and kind of the right audience so now going back uh, I started I studied engineering that was mainly because I knew engineers made a lot of money. I didn't really mm -hmm. know what I wanted to do. Back in high school, we had to pick a couple of careers that we were interested in. And I was basically searching to see which ones made the most money. And also <laughs> ones, because I, I didn't get good grades other than math. But then once oh, really? physics, chemistry, all the other math classes and sciences got introduced, I did quite well, but I was limited to engineering, accounting, a few things like that. Mm -hmm. So I took engineering. I started working as an engineer. I didn't like it. 
I went through a couple of jobs over the period of time I was an engineer over the 10 years. Part way through that, I started studying to get my CFA. Uh, most people who get their CFA would go into some form of investing. I thought I might want to be a fund manager. Uh, I thought I'd probably move to Toronto or New York after and work on Wall Street or something along those lines. Hard mm-hmm. way through that, I realized that's probably not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Got into real estate investing. And through real estate investing, I started seeing that the payoff for my time was a lot more effective in real estate investing than anything I was going to do working for anyone else. Um, as we kind of spoke about briefly earlier, mm-hmm. I was making good money as an engineer, but like each house I bought, I was replacing, let's say like anywhere from 10 to 30% of my income with a single property. And that was passive income. Most of those properties I still have. And that's what allowed me to leave my job. Uh, so I started heavily investing in real estate back in 2013 up until I started slowing down on buying houses after 2016. In 2016, I bought 11 houses. Wow. <laughs> so that That's took a lot. Me, 2016 was a big year. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of things that happened. And that was when I, you could say, I started to realize tensions in my body and become aware of limitations mm-hmm. in my body. And that's when I started to take a step back and go down the path that I'm on now. Okay. Uh, there was some unfortunate news in my family. My mom got, got diagnosed with terminal cancer in 2016, right in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. I finished my CFA right at the end of 2015. And so between all those things, then I decided to start looking for different paths in life. And it wasn't until 2018 that I left the corporate world, but it was very much okay. 2016. I was, it was very clear that I wasn't going to work there more than a few more years. Yeah. It made sense to keep working there because I was still buying some properties. I needed uh, income shown on paper to, continue to get mortgages, all of that. Mm-hmm. And I decided once I got to 20 properties that I would walk away and that happened shortly after. Wow. Um, so I definitely want to start with, I guess, talking about the real estate investing. If you want to, if you can like talk a little bit about that and what it is exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's, it's a scary word for me. Well, words, scary. It's scary for me, so I'm sure it's probably scary to other people. <laughs> it can take many different forms. I've heard a number of statistics. I'm sure you've seen posts before. I have a quote about this in my book. I have a couple sections about real estate and financial freedom in my mm-hmm. book. Uh, 90% of millionaires become millionaires from real estate investing. A lot of them... A lot of the people you see who have other businesses, they started with real estate because real estate is very simple. Um, It's an effective way to grow money to start with. And then once you grow some money, then you can take that money and start diversifying into other businesses. Um, And then some of them keep their real estate, some of them sell it. And that's kind of where I'm at right now is slowly getting rid of some of my real estate. I might 
invest in real estate at a higher scale in the future, um, buying buildings versus buying single family homes. Uh, but I'd like to diversify into businesses and even my book, my book was a project. I didn't put a lot of money into it, but I put like a year of my time, let's say into it, it was, there's an opportunity cost there. I could have been working or, um, investing. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just, I'll go over a few types of real estate investing, but I'm not going to go into depth on them. <laughs> yep. That's fine. Podcast. <laughs> I, I invested in single family homes mostly, and it was smaller real estate investments. Uh, depends on what currency we're talking in, but in U S dollars or in Canadian dollars, all of my investments are around half a million dollars or less. So I wasn't buying like million dollar properties. I was buying like my, my average property is probably worth three to 400,000. Okay. Yeah. That's how much houses are here in Connecticut. So yeah, but I guess all I was trying to get across there is they were houses. They weren't uh, apartment buildings, uh, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I just added one property at a time in 2016. Once I got really comfortable with it, I I already had I think five or I think I had six properties before 2016, and then I bought 11. So I was quite familiar with it. I had five or so years experience, and that's what allowed me to buy all those properties in 2016 and not go too crazy. Mm-hmm. The other way some people do it, some people get into multifamily investing. Mm-hmm. Some people will buy properties and rent them out as Airbnb. Some people will rent properties so they don't actually even own them and then they'll turn around and sublease them as Airbnb. So that's what a lot of people are starting. And that's, yeah, your facial expression is the one I get for most people when I explain that. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people think you need to own real estate to make money on real estate. There's people making good money on real estate right now who don't even own it. They're just they're signing leases and then they're turning around and renting them on a shorter term basis to make more money. So you wouldn't be annoyed if someone that you were renting to was making money off your property. (laughs) I, I would not allow that myself. I would, it would be a longer conversation if someone was doing that with my property. I, what I said, a lot of people are doing this. So not saying like, I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's right or not. And I hope the people who are doing it are communicating it with their landlords. They're probably but it is Yeah. <laughs> uh, so beyond that, any short-term leases, whether it's Airbnb or something else, you're going to make more money uh, compared to what I'm doing with Airbnb. People make 30 to 40% more cash flow per month. Uh, but cash flow is a small part of it. So there's three pieces to the profits you make in real estate investing. There's cash flow. There's the mortgage pay down, which is the biggest portion that you're going to count on. And um, it's always going to be there where cash flow, cash flow might be, let's say one third or one quarter of what you're making in mortgage pay down. So it's a lot smaller piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. And then the part that can be, either negligent or it can be the biggest part, but it's not something you should ever really count on is the home appreciation. So 
when like markets are hot, then homes might go double in value in a short period of time. And when you only put 20% down on a house, let's say if the home goes up or doubles in a couple of years, you're not making a hundred percent on your money. You're making 500% on your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Still confusing. I'll probably be confused for a while, but okay. <laughs> so. Do you want me to explain a bit more about how, like what I did in real estate? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so like one of the things a lot of people don't understand is like, for me getting from one property to 20, you're not buying all the properties on your own necessarily. Okay. I got to from one to six on my own and I was buying like one to two properties a year, two properties max. I was working as an engineer, so I was making good money, which allowed me to mm-hmm. save up 20%, let's say each year, give or take. Mm-hmm. Some of those houses were also going up in value and I was paying off the mortgages. So let's say every few years I could refinance one of the homes and that would give me a down payment on top of the money I was saving. So that's how I was like in 2013, 2014, 2015, I was buying one to two properties per year. Then once I started entertaining um, joint ventures, which is there's all different ways to do joint ventures. It's you and someone else partnering. The most common joint venture in real estate would be someone putting the money forward and someone else doing all the work. So I had other people put the money forward for nine of the properties I bought in 2016 and I did all the work. So I found the house, I managed the house, I like accounting, finding tenants, all that kind of stuff. Okay. And we, let's say like a typical joint venture would be splitting profits 50, 50, but it would, be dependent on all those little pieces like who's doing what and if it's if the work split 50 50 work and money okay um there's other forms of joint venture like you may buy a property with someone and someone may you may renovate it and flip it um where one person might put the money in the other person might manage the project and on that note like a lot of people when they hear real estate investing they're thinking fix and flips I've never done any of those. I think it's quite speculative and risky unless you really, really know what you're doing. And it's, mm-hmm. um, it seems glamorous. Like you see shows about this on TV, shows about people holding real estate for 20 years and like collecting a check from their tenant once a month. Mm-hmm. That's not very exciting. Yeah. Uh, so that's like joint ventures and cl- Using other people's money is the way um, I grew my portfolio from six to 17 properties in one year. And then from there, I started using my own money again. The biggest thing with using other people's money is like, and you can read this in books, you can go to courses and they'll teach you this, um, like approaching people and asking them for their money and learning to raise money. And a big part of that is being confident in what you're doing with the investments. I would rather lose my money than someone else's money. So when I'm investing someone else's money, it's like there's more stress involved. I need to be that much more sure about it. Mm-hmm. And like there's another layer of management there, just like you manage your tenants. When you have people giving you money, they want updates. They want to know how the project's doing. So you're 
you're managing on another level there. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I know you were working full time when you were started doing this, but were you ever like scared that you were going to lose all your money that you invested in these properties? <laughs> like you weren't going to find people to rent or something would happen. And I don't know. I, <laughs> not, not really. Yeah. <laughs> like people ask me that and I, I did the risk management. I stress tested. I considered like what would need to go wrong in the world or in our local economy for me to go bankrupt. Um, and at times like that would have looked like a 20% drop in our market. Um, our market over the last 40 years has went up 36 years and four years it went down up until 2015, which the last four years our market has actually been flat and I'm still making a profit Okay. because I stress tested pretty aggressively. Um, but those four years it went down to, it wasn't like a 10% drop. It was like a one to 2% drop. Okay. So overall, like real estate is pretty sound investment. There are times where like Detroit, where everyone moved out of the city. And yeah. if something like that happened in Calgary, I would go bankrupt. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. All right. Interesting. Well, um, and with that, like, I've slowly yeah. paid down mortgages and like, there was a period of about a year where I was quite leveraged. And now it's kind of like where I said, the market would have to drop by 20% for me to go bankrupt. Now maybe that's more like 40% and I'm continuing to diversify into other investments um, due to my uncertainty on like where the world is at and where like our local market is, but even the world market. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very interesting. We'll definitely have to talk more about that another time. <laughs> I'll, I'll add to that too. Um, <laughs> Like that, this is how I looked at it all back in 2016, where now I'm sure you've seen a lot of my posts, um, what I wrote in my book. There's no amount of money that will make you financially feel financially secure. Like you're not going to feel secure whether you have a million dollars or a billion dollars. People with a billion dollars, like my guess is, and I've said this to people before, is like, if you have a hundred thousand dollars, you're probably, you probably feel more secure than someone with a billion dollars. Yeah, probably. Just because like those people, like a lot of people chasing more money and the more, because you're chasing money, trying to build that security and make yourself feel secure and getting through some of these fears of like needing to feel secure in that, um, allowed me to see these things in a different way. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely does. Um, I mean, it's all about mindset and like money's energy and yeah, if you're not, no matter how much money you have, if you're not happy internally, you're never going to be happy. So yeah. <laughs> it's just is what it is. <laughs> um, so speaking of that, so you said in 2016, you were very, you were noticing a lot of tension and stress in your life. Yeah. From just real estate investment and then um, what happened with your mom. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, 
at the time I wasn't sure what it is. So a lot of what I say is going to be reflections mm-hmm. that happened over the last three years, yep. including I'm still starting to become more aware of what happened in 2016 and what has happened over the last three years as time goes on, if that makes sense. Yes, An example of that is through my breathwork training, I, um, we all have tension in our body. It's normal to have tension. With that said, we want to, uh, through breathing and being conscious of our breath and other practices, meditation, um, dealing with our stresses, shit, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. we integrate those stress or integrate those tensions. When we leave those tensions in our body, those tensions create us to breathe irregularly. When we breathe irregularly, then we get anxious. So that's like a pattern, like those three things all happen basically all at once, but especially the irregular breathing and anxiety. So a lot of people think you get anxious and then you breathe irregular. It's actually the opposite more commonly, or they happen like hand in hand, if that makes sense. So looking back at 2016, I noticed myself not being able to breathe properly. And then I noticed my, I noticed tension in my body, like through my chest here to my back. And when it got really bad, it would come up like through my neck and through like even into my face when it, Mm -hmm. um, like if I wasn't getting massages, if I wasn't meditating, if I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing breath work back then. Um, I think a lot of it would have been like being conscious just of my body through stretching after working out and massages, that kind of stuff. So now I do breath work. Go ahead. So you weren't, um, so you weren't meditating at all then or you were? I was introduced to meditation for the first time in 2016. Okay, so before that, you had no idea, or you just maybe heard of it, but really didn't adapt it into your life. Even in 2016, when I was first introduced Mm -hmm. to it, it was five-minute meditations I was doing. Um, Beginning of 2017, I went to a meditation course. After that, literally, I don't think I've missed a day of meditation since the beginning of 2017, but... I wasn't holding myself to a goal of meditating 60 minutes per day at the beginning. I was holding myself to a goal of sitting down and meditating for some period of time. And I've even had, I've guided people to that, like as a start for meditating to try and sit down and meditate for five minutes. I understand meditating being like five minutes won't do anything, but I think, I've seen a lot of people struggle with meditation because they can't be consistent with sitting down for 30 minutes a day or 60 minutes per day. They will just not do it versus right. making an effort yeah, sit for five, five minutes. minutes right now. So <laughs> <laughs> gotta get better. <laughs> That's where I was for through the first year. It grew from about wow. five minutes to 45 minutes probably like the whole year and then I went to my first Vipassana wow. where I meditated about 200 hours over 10 days 
so literally like 20 hours a day. And after that, my practice like took off and it was one to two hours a day, closer to two hours most days. And now it's most wow. days, I would say my practice is about three hours, not all at once, but two hours when I get wow. up and one hour when I get home or one hour before I go to bed. And that's a mix of mm -hmm. breath work, meditation, yoga. So the morning, the morning two hours, some, some days it's an hour, some days it's two hours, some days it's longer. Um, it might look like 30 minutes of meditation, 40 minutes of yoga. Right. What time do you wake up? An hour morning? of breath work or 30 minutes of breath work. <laughs> I go through phases. When I got back from India, it was really easy to keep wow. with my practice that I had in India, getting up at 4 a.m. And in the winter too, it was easy. And then I did some traveling um, like nearby in the summer, but I just like even working on my book, I had a very chaotic, um, not regular work schedule over the summer. And I found there is, there was days mm -hmm. I was getting up at 7 a.m. There was days I was getting up at 5 a.m. Okay. <laughs> there was days I was sleeping in. I'd like to get back to my routine of getting up at 4 a.m. Yeah. yeah, that's my intention. I am going to Peru in a couple weeks or 10 days. Days. And at the beginning of that, I'll be going to the jungle for two weeks and I'll be in silence, meditating, mm -hmm. doing a few ceremonies. And when I'm in Peru, South America, over those two months, I'll be, my goal is to keep up with that practice and get up early, um, practice every morning for two hours, three hours. Mm -hmm. And when I get home, continue with that. Nice. Yeah. Are you going to do, um, ayahuasca <laughs> i <laughs> more than likely yeah oh oh you'll have to tell me about that that's exciting yeah. Yeah. that'll be that i think that'll be amazing i've heard good that things. might be that might be another conversation <laughs> I know, we could do a whole episode on your ayahuasca journey <laughs> yeah i heard good things but i've heard scary things too more the purging but yeah, yeah. i have uh experienced it a couple times over the past year and mm -hmm. I, I would say that's one of the things that has contributed to my growth along with other a number of other things i've been doing but definitely ayahuasca has mm -hmm. taken part in that. yeah um should you mind if we talk about your mom for a little bit sure and just how that like changed your life because obviously stress changed your life but then yeah. that so when did that happen your mom when she was diagnosed uh july 2016 my mom got diagnosed with terminal cancer and it was about two months mm -hmm. after that that i noticed the tension in my body my breathing became irregular um working out and being active has always been an important part of my life. And through the next like year to two years, even like working out, uh, all of that became hard because breathing like in this tension, in my body, like it was not allowing me to operate the way I always had. 
and mm-hmm. so the size the size I am now and like the way I physically like hold my weight now and muscle all that is getting back similar to the way it used to be but over those one to two years I lost about 10 to 20 pounds of like mostly muscle just because my body like was in stress and I've I've read about this before, but I never experienced it. Like when, when you're under like high, high levels of stress, your body won't recover. Like you're, you're better off not to be active and work out because it's just your body's already stressed and you're creating more stress for it. So it can't recover. Right. Um, and so yeah, my mom, my mom got diagnosed, um, is there specific questions you would like to ask <laughs> around that so that I don't blabber? No, you can, t- you can okay. talk. It's your story. I don't, I don't have any questions on okay. that. I'm just curious how you like worked through that okay. and everything. Cause that's, that's not easy yeah. to deal with. So it would have been very different talking about it in the past. Like my, my mindset and where I'm at today is very different than when I found out the news. Um, I, to give you an example, even I like when it came to like reading and personal development, it was all on investing and um, investing finances, business, making money, all that where once my mom got diagnosed, I was like not in a good state mentally and I was like I was really searching to figure out like how to get myself in like better condition from when she got diagnosed I like I over the last like three let's say three three and a half years I've read I'm gonna guess somewhere in the range of 300 books more of them on mindset and consciousness than anything else uh at the beginning it wasn't so much consciousness like that started as mindset and then that led me into meditation consciousness it all ties together but I was like just reading book Mm -hmm. after book on mindset and happiness and how to like I wasn't sure if I was depressed or not um in hindsight I definitely Mm -hmm. was depressed and I even questioned like the first 30 years of my life like was I depressed or was I not depressed um like I'm happier than I've ever been and it's like when you're going through it though, like you don't really know if you're like, like when you're depressed, you don't know you're depressed. I don't think. <laughs> right. Oh. Why? So looking back, why would you think you were depressed? Just because of you're just happier now? Yeah. Um, I'm much more stable and much more balanced now. Um, I see the world, like just my perspective is very different. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me try to put this into words. Like there there was many bad days before. And I would like, especially when my mom got diagnosed. And it was like, there was was times where Mm -hmm. I questioned, I'm like, like why why is life like this why um like what is the purpose of life like all those kinds of questions um Mm -hmm. i'm still very curious about life but i in a different way 
if that makes sense. It's never, it's never from a perspective, like, do I want to take part in life? It's from a perspective, like, of just um, being curious about life and exploring like a kid, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I think within, within two to three months of my mom getting diagnosed, I, like I read a number of good books that really, really helped me. Um, my mom said many times it helped her, like my being around me and my and the way, like just the influence I had on her. And I think anytime we start doing work on ourselves, we start to influence and have a ripple effect on people around us. Um, I think that was the biggest thing that made me realize that how much I was changing was um, hearing how much it was helping my mom and other people around me. Yeah. Hmm. That's so beautiful. I'm glad that, not glad, but I'm, I don't know, the worst I'm trying to think. I would say that I guess the timing of you finding all the, the consciousness was kind of the right time, I guess. I don't know if that's bad wording to use. Because I think like everything happens for a reason and everything's happening for us. So I agree. Like it, it came to you at a time when you needed it the most, I guess. Yeah, definitely. If um, yeah. it very much was a blessing in disguise as um, it might be hard for people to understand this, but if you knew who I was yeah. before versus who I am now and how much it has changed me and my life and, and in, not just me in my life, other people that were in my mom's life had like huge transformations as a result of her getting diagnosed. And like, it really was a wake up call for many people, including myself. Yeah. I, in ways like I'm like, there's obviously I would love to still have my mom around, but um, I'm very, very, very grateful for where the whole process and journey brought me i Mm -hmm. i would never be where i am today if that hadn't happened right how long after did she pass she passed away uh may 1st 2018 Mm -hmm. so she lived for about 22 months once she got diagnosed and that was better than um one doctor estimated that she had probably between six to 18 months left. Um, when they found the cancer, um, they found, they didn't found the, pri- they didn't find the primary source first. They found it in her head, which it had metastasized to. And they did brain surgery the next day. And then they started doing other treatments to try and remove the lung cancer, which was the primary um, source. Mm-hmm. Um, but considering like, it had metastasized to her brain and everything else. I living 22 months, I've heard much worse cases than that. Yeah. And so the whole consciousness piece, you may kind of start to see here that um, a big part of me searching for alternative therapies and all of that 
is what led me to like meditation and breath work and Vipassana and all these things. And um, parts of me doing some of that stuff was uh, experimenting to see if there was something there potentially to help heal my mom. Right. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's tough. Thanks. But it's, it's, yeah, I just think that how you went through it sucks, but the fact that you found consciousness is a good thing because you could probably be a completely different person today if you didn't find it. Like yeah. you probably could be very angry and bitter with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Which is usually what happens to a lot of people yeah. when they're going through something like that. Yep. Well. So what, okay, so you talk a lot about irregular breathing. So what, so what is regular breathing and how are we supposed to be breathing daily? <laughs> Oh. I guess because you said that it irregular breathing and anxiety kind of go hand in hand, but you said that it's mostly your breathing's first. You think is that what you said? Yes, uh, okay. that's the way I, I read it in one book. Um, okay, and I think often they'll they'll come together. So whether you notice the anxiety yeah. first or the breathing first, they'll happen at the same time. Yeah, I normally notice my heart rate first. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And <laughs> so I'm going to be careful with my words here. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't say there's a normal way to breathe. Okay. I there's a natural way to breathe. Okay. And um, let's say through breathing, the more you're conscious of the breath and the more you do this, your breathing is going to get more and more natural to not saying it was even there when you were born, but um, say more and more natural. Mm -hmm. What takes us away from that is when we're not conscious of our breath, when we're uh, everything we're impacted by day-to-day -day stresses, society, all of that. As this builds up in our body as tension, that's taking us away from our natural breath. Okay, so when you say not conscious, you mean like we naturally, our brain, like we breathe, but we don't think about it all day because we're not like, oh, I need to breathe in now and I need to breathe out. So, yeah. So you're saying like the stress of it is just triggering our brain to breathe erratic. <laughs> um, not even erratically per se. Okay. Let's, let's do a test. Okay. Right now, are you breathing? Yes. Are you actually, and you weren't holding your breath? I think I was. Okay. <laughs> hey, you don't know though. And okay. So that's part of it, but as another example, we've all caught ourselves holding our breath. Like when we, when we panic, um, whether it's something to panic about or not, it's not like, like there's no tigers chasing us here, but like if something bad happens at work or we get a bad phone call or whatever else, first thing we usually do is pause and hold our breath. 
So that's irregular breathing versus like there should be no pause at the top of a breath or at the bottom of a breath. And for most people, there's a pause at the top and bottom of their breath. And natural breathing, there's no pause at the top, there's no pause at the bottom, and it's a cyclic breath. And it might feel unnatural when you do it, but really, once you're getting rid of stresses and that, that's how your body wants to breathe. Yeah. I mean, it feels unnatural when you actually think about it. Because when you're thinking about breathing, you change your breath and you're like, oh, I got to breathe in and I got to breathe out. But if you don't think about it, then you're naturally breathing. Yeah. I feel like I'm making this more complicating than it is. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right. (laughs) Well, a lot of these things I always think back to, I'm like, okay, 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, what were people doing? And like for some, like there's a couple places where that ties in. We probably weren't talking as much as we are now. If right. you're talking at all. And when you're ta- not talking, that allows you to breathe versus being focused on talking. Right. Um, another thing, we weren't stressed probably unless there is real danger where now we put our body into the same response from day-to-day things. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And some of those dangers are warranted, but 99% of them aren't. And if something bad happens at work or um, whatever it is, it should be fine to continue breathing through that. And it's, it's going to help you to breathe through that versus going into fight or flight, which is where your breathing really gets irregular. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in meditation, when they're like, just focus on your breath, you're supposed to just pay attention to your natural breathing and not actually tell yourself to breathe. It depends on the type of meditation. Oh, okay. I'm just making this really complicated. <laughs> many, many types of meditation, like the simplest on upon it would be, and that's uh, essentially what, let's say, Buddha used to reach enlightenment. And there's many different stories on that and myths on how it happened. Um, but essentially closing your eyes, and just letting your body breathe naturally. So not forcing or controlling anything. And that's going to be, um, so I'm not going to say natural breath because let's say we're not not breathing naturally, but you're not going to control your breath anymore. So however your body wants to breathe. Okay. So let's say your natural breath today versus um, like getting your body back to, a state where it's not where there's not irregular um, breathing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, depending on the meditation, or like, there's different kinds of breath work. Like, there's uh, I do conscious breathing in India. I've studied pranayama, which is a different type of breathing, often done in pair with yoga. Um, there's 
you may breathe through your mouth, you may breathe through your nose, you may, you're probably going to breathe at a more rapid rate than your, let's say, resting breath. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, you're going to inhale actively usually. And then your exhale, depending on what you're doing, it may be an active forced exhale. Often it's a released exhale with no resistance or control. So you're just letting the exhale drop out, let's say. Mm -hmm. And for many people that letting your exhale drop out is very difficult because we're so used to controlling everything that most people want to control their exhale and it's very hard for people to let the exhale just drop out, I found. Okay. Interesting. Well, and it speaks a lot to society that we, we're conditioned to control everything. Yeah. Yes, we and are. <laughs> that shows up in our breath. And if we let go of those controls, our breathing starts to go back to its natural state. Right it's really sad that we want to control our breath too oh my god um do you know if we should be breathing with our bellies or our chests (laughs) good question i i've heard bellies so a full a full natural breath would be breathing into your belly, your belly would fill up, and then your chest would fill up, and then even up into your shoulders almost. Okay. You should essentially see life in your whole body, like your limbs, everything should look alive. And then when you exhale, you should see it coming out of like the upper chest, lower chest, stomach, well, abdomen, I should say. Um, But, your question was, should we breathe that way? Most of us don't breathe that way. And if, if I was facilitating through someone's, someone breathing, I would tell them to breathe. Um, I'm not going to use the word natural, but breathe. I would just ask them to breathe. And then I would observe how they're breathing. And based mm-hmm. on how they're breathing, that would tell me um, some information about them. And potentially like their mental patterns and you can work on their mental patterns and their physical patterns to get them breathing back to that natural full breath where it goes into their stomach, chest, upper shoulders. Mm -hmm. So some of the breath work training I've done, um, there's three pieces to everything stored in our body that needs to be integrated. And those three pieces are emotional, mental, and physical. Uh, So let's say if someone has something stored in their hip, through breathing, that's going to integrate the emotional aspect. Through applying pressure to their hip, that's going to integrate the physical aspect. And then if you offer an affirmation that ties with that part of the body, that's going to integrate the mental aspect. Okay. And sometimes like you could be off on the ment- on the where you're touching in, on the body. Like you may only get two out of three of those. Um, and I'll explain why there's three aspects there. 
for anyone interested. Um, so most people up till the age of seven, we start living in an emotional state. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no physical, there's no mental. Um, everything is based on vibrations and emotional. Right. And then around the age of seven, we kind of, we get told to grow up and that's where we start developing mentally. And then around the age of 14, we start developing physically, but and the mental aspect kind of still continues there. Right. But the first seven years of our life, we have all these imprints, let's say that are um, vibrational, emotional that haven't been integrated because we shut off that side of ourselves at the age of, let's say seven. So at no point, if we've never went back and tied these things together and worked through this, through doing breath work, or there's many other ways to do it, but like those things stay with us. And that's where we get triggered. Like if we all of a sudden snap on someone for no reason, um, and often even that emotional, those seven years of emotional patterning will repeat themselves. So you might go through the same loop of seven years over and over again on an emotional level. But often, often like if you're not paying attention to the emotional level, these things will come up and come through you and they'll be expressed and you don't know where they're coming from. Right. I wouldn't have connected all that with breath work. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to it. <laughs> It's blowing my mind right now. <laughs> well, and I don't think people need to know all of this. Like, oh, I think but it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just kind of shows people that like there's, there's a lot to our breath and how powerful it is like if we start working on our breath and being conscious of it. And like meditation and breath work, like I think most people are aware that they're like good tools for stress and calming ourselves down, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more there than just that. Yeah. See, because I consider like meditation and yoga to be more of a stress calming aspect in my life. Obviously, yoga is physical too because you're moving your body and everything. But I never would have connected it to all of those things. Yeah. And like how I a lot, like I feel like I kind of like lost myself and you were like oh well I do breath work and I'm like how does that connect with finding yourself but now it makes a lot of sense yeah wow (laughs) one you you mentioned yoga I'm not gonna go through it (laughs) but like a lot of these things like you can integrate the same things in a way through yoga they Mm -hmm. may come up differently and for instance like I'm sure it's hard to identify until you're kind of aware of how these things come up, but maybe you've been doing a pose in yoga and all of a sudden you felt triggered by something or like you felt angry and it's like, something's like bubbling through you because you've released something and Mm -hmm. um, like, or even had memories of something that came up. And Oh yeah. I used to ball my eyes out in yoga (laughs) all the time. When I first started just bawled every time, every class. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting, like the, the first Vipassana I did before that and like growing up, I played hockey and I was a goalie um, and I thought it was like normal for guys to have really tight hips. Like I didn't realize um, until like Vipassana that it was like, there was a lot of shit stored in my hips and 
and it's still something I'm working through. And, but like, I think most people or a lot of people, like it's, that's where we store a lot of stuff is in our hips. And once you start doing yoga or like Vipassana, breath work, meditation, whatever, some of that starts getting released. And then all of a sudden you become more flexible. Dude, I have so much tight. I hit my hips are so tight. I can't even sit Indian style. <laughs> That's so bad. Ugh. I used to be able to until sometime in maybe high school. Yeah. That is so interesting. I have heard that before. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's interesting too, when you start to actually, there's been a couple of times where I saw like all the memories to do with forgiveness came up once during a period of a couple of days in Vipassana. And it was very clear, like the one release that was coming out of my body, like as I was coming out, all the memories were coming out to do with what I had stored. Mm-hmm. All right. So you mentioned a little bit before 2016 about um, like you didn't like your job. Um, so can you just talk, I'm just so curious to talk a little bit about who you were before. Cause obviously like I see you as this very calm, collective man. And I'm just really curious as who you were before 2016. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you would do more justice if someone else told you, but really? Well, it's just like, I can obviously your perception of, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I'll say I, I'm very different. And I was very much like, um, all you just, I was like, I was greedy. I was chasing money. I, I wasn't like, I'd never read a book on emotional intelligence. My emotional intelligence wasn't there. I was very good with investing business all of that business and then like that's all changed like I I still I still invest and I'm still interested in business and that's always going to be a small part of things but it's kind of like it's it's so weird to look back and me like I didn't realize emotional intelligence and that was a skill that was valuable in business Mm -hmm. and being able to talk to people and communicate with people and like everything to do with that is the most important life skill there is, I believe now, like there's what, even if it's a business or finances or whatever it was that I was dealing with before, like what I know now, I know would help me with that stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me read you something that you wrote that I really liked back in May. You have a picture with your abs showing into pretty girls. (laughs) So no, I'm just showing this because I remember you posting it and I was like, whoa, I was like, that's Brandon from like eight from a long time ago. That's crazy. But so this, you said, throw back to my bartending days, but then you go on to saying, I now value growth over partying. I now value health over drinking. I now value my brain over my aesthetics. I can never say that word, right? I now value getting up early to meditate over working late nights in bars, even the insanely big tip nights. So, and you also said, um, it's all part of my journey, but I'm happy to have those days behind me. 
every day I wake up and I'm grateful for where I am and what I'm doing. It isn't, it wasn't always like this. Most of my life, I enjoyed hitting the snooze button. Now that really crosses my mind. Hmm. I would say you've changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and even like the days when I bartended was, I would say, like what I just described feels like a lifetime ago. And then that feels like two lifetimes ago. Yeah. So wow. There was a period when I was in my early to mid twenties when I was bartending every weekend and, um, Again, it was a big part of it was to save up and make money. And it was, it was good money. I was making more money bartending than I was as an engineer. If you look at really? like, yeah, like wow. it's hard to believe maybe wow. not yearly, but on an hourly rate. Yeah. Wow. Like I would make more money in four hours than I would in eight hours as an engineer. That's crazy. Yeah. So it was, it was hard to give up because of that. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, like I moved from that into getting interested in investing and real estate and business and all of that. And that's when I started doing my CFA, uh, buying properties, all of that. And then in 2016, let's say there was a big shift from that to like going down the path of like that I'm on now, let's say. Yeah. I mean, maybe you were more money driven before then. And now you're just very conscious driven and just being happy and living life. Yeah. Like I was, I was always very money driven up until the last couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. And I still like, even with my book, I, um, I was prepared to sink time into it without the necessity or expectation of making money out of it. Mm -hmm. um, I was, even the money I invested in it, like I didn't invest a lot of money into it, but there is money that goes into like editing and all that kind of stuff. Like I bought copies of the book to give away. And like that was a project where I was like, okay, I wanna help people versus like in the past, everything I was doing, it was like, okay, if I'm investing this much money into it, how much am I going to make? Right. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> All in time. Like I looked at my time the same way in the past. It was like, if I'm putting time into this, like, am I making money for my time or. Right. Where now I think there's a lot more to it. Like I, I have the money coming in that I need. I don't need to make time for, like I can make investments without making money. I can put my time into things without making money. Right. So you told me you've been to 37 countries. Yes. And how old are you now? 33? Yeah. That's when did you start traveling? Um, for the most part, the, my first trip outside of North America was when I was 24. So that was over, like this traveling would have been over the last nine years. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. That is amazing. Yeah. I thought my 20 countries was good, but all right. <laughs> wow. 37. That's incredible. Thanks. What do you, 
Like, what does traveling mean to you? Um, I think that too has changed over the years. At the beginning, it was, I think a big part of traveling was like leaving my life behind and like taking, like, do you know what I mean? Escaping for a period mm-hmm. of time. Vacations, yeah. <laughs> and like, it was, it was still great to see the world, but like there was a lot of partying involved. Um, and then even like the parting aside though, like it was like, I was looking forward to getting away from my life for right. a period of time, like work and everything else where now, um, like especially my last couple of trips and this was part of my, I don't know if I'd call it a goal or an intention, but I wanted to get to the point where I could go to India, let's say, and not feel like I was traveling, just feel like I was in another country and continue doing the same stuff I would be doing here for the most part. And then even come home and like not take two weeks to get back to normal, like come home and it feels like you're not, like there isn't a huge shift, like you're still doing the same things. You're still the same. Mm -hmm. Like something I've been always very intrigued by is like people travel and people are super friendly when they're traveling They'll say hi to anyone that they walk by on the streets. They'll make eye contact and mm-hmm. like you go traveling and then you come back to um, like I live in Calgary and like there was one day I like I started making eye contact with people and I noticed everyone who walked by just looked at the ground and looked away like it made them uncomfortable. It, yeah. Finally about the 10th person like made eye contact back and it still was not, not like it would be traveling, but um, like I've tried to maintain, like when I come back, like saying hi to people and like feeling like you're still, um, right. yeah. And then they look at you like you're nuts. Like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes a little bit, but it's like also everyone's on their cell phones nowadays in line. Oh, God, yes. Like saying hi to the person beside them. And yeah, sometimes. I think it's, it's also when people are out in nature too, they're different too. Like, yeah. if you're just walking down the street, you're really not going to probably say hi to someone. But if you're, like, walking on a hike or just a walk in nature, you're most likely going to probably say hi to somebody. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Just my observation. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about your book. Okay. I can't wait to read it, too. I'm so excited. Thanks. <laughs> So your book is called Become the Best You Today. So what is it about? Besides becoming the best you today. (laughs) I will start by reading the subtitle, which it's a mouthful to say the whole title I've realized, but I'm like, the reason I put the subtitle is to give people a better understanding of what the book is. Yeah. The subtitle is 111 contemplations for living a successful and conscious life and mm-hmm. there's a few revisions of that um i'm not going to go through them <laughs> so it's 111 topics okay not, so, sure sorry go ahead is it like chapters or they're just like just 111 different you can call them chapters you can call them pages. contemplations you can call them topics They range from one to five pages each. I think my book page count is 277. 
and there's 111 topics. So that gives you an idea. The average topic is two and a half pages, but some of them are shorter than others. Some are one page, some are five pages. When <laughs> I'll, I'll share a little more about writing the book, actually. Uh, not a lot of people know this, but it started out, I started writing a book on financial freedom, actually. And it was actually, then it, that evolved into writing a number of topics on financial freedom. And at the beginning, I thought I was going to write 100 topics, but then partway along the way, I was like, okay, 100 is kind of boring. I surveyed a few friends, about 10, on whether it should be 88 topics, 111, 108, and 111 was by far the majority. So it started. Does 111 have a spiritual meaning too? Yeah, there's different. Um, like AIDS are, a lot of people believe AIDS are abundance, especially in some Asian cultures. 108, there's 108 beats on a mala. There's a lot in the yoga community, spirituality with 108. There's also a lot with 111. Like people see ones or they, like if you see one 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 on your speedometer when you're driving or 11, 11 on the clock or whatever else, a lot of people take it as a sign that they're, Yes, I do. <laughs> All right, I got to read this to you. Number 111 symbolizes the principles of spiritual awakening and enlightenment, high energy, inspiration, and intuition, self-expression, and sensitivity. Angel number 111 is a message for you from your angels to be very aware of your per persistent thoughts and ideas as these are manifesting quickly into your reality. Mm. I think that that's pretty spot on there <laughs> so I, like I think that's a very i don't think that's a coincidence yeah. <laughs> anyway sorry continue yeah. thanks for reading that yeah i i have to look stuff up on weird like that <laughs> yeah. so yeah it's 111 topics it started out as financial freedom and then i started getting interested in mindset so then it became a book that was going to be made up of financial freedom topics and mindset topics. And then I realized there's, I was starting to write a lot on consciousness when I got back from India and that's when most of my book was written. I wrote about three quarters of my book in 66 days after I got back from India. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine a lot of it was consciousness at that point, I split it into four sections. So there was going to be consciousness, mindset, financial freedom, productivity. Mm -hmm. By the time I got through the book, I realized about 30% of the book was made up of financial freedom and productivity combined. And about 70% was consciousness, mindset. Mm -hmm. And they're actually separated. So there's four different sections of the book split into different categories. And then I took those sections out and I basically mixed all the sections up. Then I reread the book and I tried to make it consistent because I completely switched the order that I was writing the book in. So I, I basically went through it all, especially the first 40 topics that were written over about a year and a half when it was kind of a hobby on the side versus the last, let's say the last 80 topics I wrote were written over 66 days. So there was a lot of consistency there. Mm -hmm. 
I reread the book, did a, a fair bit of editing myself, but I was worried about over editing. That was something I was worried about all along is <laughs> edit your book, but do it very lightly. And you don't want to take your voice out of the book. You don't want to take your style out. So are these like the 1111 things? Are these stuff that you like you came up with on your own or it's like bits of what you've learned? Yeah, it, I was never a good writer and the idea of writing a book like had never crossed my mind until actually when I finished my CFA, I, so my CFA, I, I was putting 20 hours a week into, plus I was investing in real estate, uh, plus working full time, plus I have a hair salon that I'm uh, more of a silent partner in, but like it was normal for me to work like 80 hour weeks, let's say. <laughs> so once I freed up time, once I finished my CFA, I started like, I'm like, oh, maybe I should write a book. And <laughs> I was like, like the first couple books I wrote were actually going to be like more, um, not a number of sections, more, let's say less chapters, like somewhere between 10 to 15 chapters, like your average book. Mm -hmm. And I just found it very difficult to like, flow from chapter to chapter and I didn't write that much to be fair like I think I wrote about 15 20 pages in one book and then I called it quits um but with this format and there are some other books that I really really liked that um I was like hey what can I take from these books and then like do my own thing with it uh Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss being one of those books. Like I love the structure of his book. I loved like how much value he brought to people by having like that many topics and having small amounts, um, small sections in each topic. Have you read Tools of Titans or heard of it? Nope, but I okay. should check it out. So he compiled all his podcasts into a book and he basically oh. summarized all the podcasts into like one to five pages and put the like best parts of each podcast into a book. So I've actually never watched any of, actually I've maybe watched since I read the book, like sections I liked most I highlighted and I've been meaning to go back and watch the podcasts. Mm -hmm. Some of his podcasts are two to three hours and he's yeah, a couple pages. Mm -hmm. So I essentially went through his first 200 or whatever podcasts through reading this, like it was 600 and some pages, but. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah but he brought like a lot of value to people with the structure of this book. When I put my book together, that was the idea, like make short topics and make it rather than dragging on with the same topic, mm -hmm. the important parts into a short section and then move on to the next topic. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to read it. So I can't wait. Thanks. <laughs> Everyone go buy his book. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I always ask everyone this question, what would you tell someone who feels stuck with their life? To breathe. <laughs> How did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> I think uh, I'm going to expand on that though. Through breathing, we become present. And in the present moment, like when we feel stuck in our lives, we feel stuck because we're worrying or we're regretting something in the past. We're regretting the past or we're worrying about the future. 
you never feel stuck when you're in the present moment. Like when you're looking at where you are and being present, you're not going to feel stuck. Like you can't suffer when you're present. Mm -hmm. I'll expand on that a bit too. Suffering is a choice. Pain isn't. So you can experience pain and pain times resistance equals suffering. But without that resistance, and that resistance may be a large part of your mind, and like as we talked about earlier, like it even shows up in our breath. But that resistance is what is what brings suffering up. Mm-hmm. So resistance of the breath? Resistance of anything. Okay. So resistance of life in any sense. And that's going to show up in your breath though. Wow. That's crazy. Do you read Eckhart Tolle? I have. Okay. Cause he talks a lot about presence and suffering and everything. So I haven't read any of his books in probably two years, but mm-hmm. his, his book, the power of now was probably, probably one of if not the most transformational book i've read and it wasn't the first time i read it though the first time i read it i didn't even get through it i got through about half of it and i put it aside i was not comfortable with some of the stuff he was talking about like putting aside who you are and your self-image and all this um my ego was very very against all of that Mm -hmm. and then once i some of that stuff loosened up and i came back to the book then it was like like a huge shift from reading that book. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm ready to read it. Cause I, Oprah did a whole literally chapter by chapter thing on her podcast and I and listened to it and enjoyed it, but I don't know. I don't think I'm ready for it yet. <laughs> so one day I'll read it. Yeah. I think I, I have a hard time with um, like, cause it's like, we are who we are. And I know we can change, but it's like, we still have like personalities and stuff. And it's like, I like who my person at like who my personality is. So I wouldn't want to change that. If that makes sense. Like it almost like scares me, I guess. Yeah, I can (laughs) see that. I don't know. Like, I'm just, I don't know why it just, I'm like, I don't know. And then obviously people are like, wait, if you're in the present, then how are you supposed to plan for the future and everything? And I'm, I get that part too, because that part kind of doesn't make sense, but it's more of just not worrying about the future. Yeah. Right? Because, um, like, we still have to work to make money. We can't just, I mean, unless we want to go live as a monk or go live in the street, but. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I guess, I guess to what you were saying is like to breathe and be present, but that ties into just suffering like if you're present you are choosing a way you're choosing not to suffer so I guess that's I guess what you should take out of all of that probably instead of worrying about you losing your personality (laughs) I guess (laughs) yeah I'm just overthinking it's what I do (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine I'm listening so where can people follow you and connect with you I 
mainly use Instagram. Mm -hmm. I use Facebook. My account got hacked and I kind of just let that go. I still have a Facebook account, but it's more for keeping in touch with close friends and people right. I'm traveling. Uh, Instagram is where I actually am active. And my Instagram is Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N with two underscores. There's a lot of Brandons out there. So underscore, <laughs> underscore Grant, G-R-A-N-T. I'm very impressed with your podcast, by the way, like in all the work you've been doing. Really? Yeah. I think it's like very, very admirable. Like, like I, it's no different than writing a book in my mind. Like I had no idea how to write a book. You had no idea how to write, do a podcast and you're like, like yeah, through episodes. I love it so much. So I got to thank Brandon for saying that at the end. Sort of near the end. We kind of talked for a while after and I kind of wanted to put that in there just because it truly makes me happy when my guests or listeners like my podcast or think I'm doing something good and helping people out. And I hope that's what I'm doing. So that really just brings me to just tears when someone says something about it because I really love doing this and I hope that you enjoy listening. All right. Well, have a good week. I will see you next week. Bye. Thank you so, so much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you love this podcast, please share it with someone you think needs to hear it, who would love to hear it. That's how this is going to get spread. That's how love is going to get spread. That's my goal for this podcast is just spread as much love and self-reflection. And, you know, we're all on this journey together. So the more people that you can tell, the more people you share this podcast with, the more it gets out. Um, if you could also rate and review on any podcast platform that you listen to, I would f truly, truly appreciate it. I love you all so much. Mm -hmm.